It's May 11th, 2021, and you're listening to the Architecture Geeks podcast. I'm Larry. And I'm Matthew. And we're your friendly neighborhood architects being geeky as we want to be. Well, welcome back, everyone. I will apologize. I probably sound Mr. Snuffly McSnuffsnuff um, getting over a bit of an allergy attack because it is that time of year. So I am going to try to talk (laughs) for a change. I'm going to try to talk as little as possible during the podcast. And instead of having a lot of fluff here at the beginning, I think we're just going to jump right off into it because we do have a guest today. And what we want to talk about, you know, we've this is this will be, I think, the last episode of the job series. We've been talking about how to find jobs, about internships, you know, sort of your progression within the profession, what that looks like. And so we thought for this podcast, we would actually talk sort of a different approach to job hunting and job searching. And that's actually creating your own job by actually creating your own firm. So our guest today is Michael Fitz, and he recently, very, very recently started his own practice. So we wanted to speak with him and find out how that's going and how that started And so, Michael, I'm going to turn it over to you to introduce yourself, and we'll get going. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on, uh, first of all. As you mentioned, you know, very recently, as in, like, I've been, you know, doing this on my own for two months and a week at this point. Uh, So very new, but yeah, BLDG Architecture, just like the acronym building that we're all familiar with, is the name of the new firm. And, uh, you know, I've been... A licensed architect since 2015, and I've been practicing, you know, post-education for about 10 years. So that's me in a nutshell. Okay. Well, that's that's a pretty decent nutshell, I guess. So, <laughs> um, so, so Matthew, you know Michael previously, so y'all, you, you guys already have a relationship. So I'm going to let you probably ask most of the questions here. And I will certainly chime in with my input, and we'll see what Michael has to say. All right. Sounds good. Yeah, we, oh gosh, we, we met in graduate school, uh, I think in my first studio, Michael, it was, wasn't it Hamilton's? We met in Hamilton's studio, I, I believe, right? Yep, that's right. Oh gosh. Yeah, so we we met in, that, that was probably two thousand. 11 ish uh so yeah so so we've we've gone back a, a a long time and then when i first got out of school michael put me on to applying at the firm that he started at uh and then the rest is history i i worked there for almost a year and a half not quite and michael was there ever since and matthew i think you know in the last episode i think larry was you know talking about where he had landed initially, you know, he stayed there for like eight, eight years. And I kind of fall into that category as well. So I I definitely think my experience there was a little different than, than probably yours. Yeah, slightly. I I bet. So are are you willing to, so since you, you you were there for, like you said, eight, 10 years, uh, would you be willing to talk about your experiences uh, and why you left your old job? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I left, I mean, as close to fabulous terms, uh, I think is possible because I landed there kind of by chance. Uh, you know, I didn't really seek them out. And in 2012, when I finished grad school, or honestly, before 2012, 
the whole reason I went to grad school when I did was that, you know, there were no jobs. So graduated in 2012. And quite frankly, they were they were some of the few that would give me a job as as quickly post-graduation as I wanted one. So that's how I landed there. However, quickly after getting there, they were a firm that was growing uh, pretty quickly. So they were ramping back up to kind of full capacity pretty quick. So I didn't spend a whole lot of time uh, waiting around being an intern. And I lasted as an intern about eight months. And I'd, I switched teams and became an associate PM, which was kind of mid-tier uh, for their their firm. And um, that's where I started to kind of find my groove. And I also kind of figured out that, you know, I really liked that niche, if you will, um, in terms of practice. And so before you knew it, eight years, nine years, I think, had gone by. And so that that's where I was um, literally about a year ago. And so a year ago, I'm sitting there and I'm realizing that uh, by that point, I, you know, I'd become a project manager. I was managing my own team and by and large managing my own projects, you know, literally from the client was sending, you know, me a site or heck sometimes a, a Google Earth pen saying, hey, yeah, kind of trace that tree line, you know, over here and, and you'll see the, the boundary of this site. Can you see if our building will fit on here and lay this out? I need 100 units and whatever. And so they were sending that directly to me. So I would literally start laying the site out and was kind of carrying it pretty much all the way through. Uh, obviously, I had I had oversight and I had input and, and mentorship, but I was doing, by and large, most of the work uh, start to finish or, or spearheading it, I should say. And so couple that with a desire since high school to own uh, my own firm, I, I just reached a point where I thought, you know, I could I could stay here. I was comfortable there. They had a great family-friendly environment that I loved in terms of firm culture. Uh, I was fairly compensated in, in my opinion. So I didn't really have a reason to leave other than I just had that, that burning desire or that itch to see, was I as good as I thought I was? You know, Can I do this uh, on my own? And so here I am. But that's, that's kind of what led me to this. It, I don't know that it wasn't opportunities weren't presented to me or anything of that nature there. I, I always felt that I was perhaps paid equally in experience as I was uh, with money. And so I learned a ton there and have applied all that to get to where I am. Yeah. So starting your own firm is a, is a risky proposition compared to hiring on to another established firm or, or even just partnering in another firm. Why start your own, especially in the middle of a pandemic? I, I, you mentioned you always wanted to start your practice, your own practice, but why would you start your own right now at this point in time? And 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 what steps did you take to establish that business? You know, I'll I'll address the the timing piece first, I guess, or in the the pandemic piece of that question, right? And Larry and I kind of talked about this a little bit earlier today, and that was. Plenty of people have kind of looked at me with the side eye, like, you know, you're crazy. Like, what do you, you know, why are you going to start a business in the middle of a pandemic? But honestly, it's all of those people that are kind of thinking that I'm a little bit crazy for doing it that have made me realize that it's, it's going to work out because I guess my mindset is just kind of like, I knew going into it, people were going to tell me, no, it wasn't going to work. Or people were going to tell me all the ways that it could go bad. And I'm, I mean, I'm a perfectionist, like just in terms of my, my personality type. So I've, you know, I've already, I've already gone through all of that in my head and I've already 
played out all those scenarios. But at the end of the day, something that I, I always love to tell interns uh, when they would be in our office and I'd be trying to encourage them, like, you got to go and take your tests and you got to you got to pass. You need to do it now before you have kids or before you get married or before you take on all this responsibility at work. And that is the hardest part about starting something new is starting something new. And you just at some point, like you can only pack the parachute so well. And then at some point you just got to jump. And so I, I just kind of reached that point a year ago, I guess. And I thought I'm in a good spot. I can sit here and wait and I can take the easier route and probably on the partner track at a, a pretty established firm. But I think it was just the realization then what I kind of always wonder, like, well, did I did I do this on my own or did I just did I inherit it, inherit this? Like, was I given something that maybe I didn't deserve or earn or work for? And so that kind of that kind of passion fuels me. You know, I don't know about everybody else. So at that point, it, it was just it was kind of a point of no return. Like, I, I just kind of had to do it. Yeah. And I, I suspect a lot of people sort of take that approach. Um, my my last one of my last business partners, she was with her firm for 27 years and finally decided that it was time. Obviously, things weren't going to change. There was no good way to buy into the business. And so that's sort of what prompted her. I think it was just that that you realize at a certain point, you just have to sort of pull the trigger, make the decision and go ahead and do it. You know, as I mentioned to you, we started at the beginning of 2008, not knowing the recession was coming down the pike. And I will say this for starting starting your business in a rough rough environment, you certainly learn a lot, and you learn to do things I think differently. So so yeah, if if and and it was nice I think that you were able to leave your firm on good terms that, that there wasn't any animosity as you were going out the door because that's going to help a lot down the road. Um, yeah, and I would say too to speak to that. I mean, one of the one of the things that has given me confidence that it's going to work out is like I was able to actually contract back with the former firm on some projects that basically I designed and they were ready to break ground and enter that CA phase. And so, like I said, I, I had solid enough relationships with those clients that as soon as I left, they're calling me. I mean, you know, literally I left there on a Friday. They're calling me on Saturday morning like, hey, uh, you know, I got the word that you're not here. What does that mean for this this project and that project? Uh, you think there's any way that you can get get back on so that you can you can see out the CA piece? And so within three weeks time, I was able to work that out and and add that piece to my my workload, which has been that's monthly income. So that's a big that's been a big help. For me, starting out, I, I'm doing this, you know, literally as a one man show. So I, I am all the things I got to do all the drawings. I can't delegate anything. But the positive of that is I'm so small, the ability to pivot uh, and make a change. You know, you mentioned talked about a firm that, you know, being there, being there long enough and just some frustrations over the way things change. And of course, like, like anyone, I had a few things like that. But when the firm is bigger, you know, when you're talking about something that impacts 30 people, you can't make quick decisions and quick, quick pivots. Whereas me, one person, I can pivot on a dime. Uh, I, it's, it's very flexible in terms of, of some of those decisions that I can make. And one of the other things that I thought too, is if I, if I start in the middle of this craziness, this pandemic, 
yeah, maybe the workload is light, but right now I don't have overhead, you know, at all other than myself. Why not get this thing off the ground, figure some of this business stuff out, all the stuff that I don't know that they don't teach me in architecture school before the economy picks back up again? Because I would love to have a firm up and running and be ready to take on more business um, when things pick back up again or when it doesn't, you don't have to sell a kidney to buy a two by four. Yeah, well, and that's one of the things that I, I was going to ask or that, that Matthew kind of asked too is, was I'm kind of a process-oriented person. So the last firm, the the principal that I joined with was very, um, what's what I'm looking for, anal maybe. <laughs> uh, she had a very, I mean, we had spreadsheets, we had all this data and information and stuff. So it was a very defined process. And I think a lot of people who go out on their own simply jump into the pool and don't think about things like, am I an LLC? Am I a self-proprietor? Am, what's my tax status? How am I going to file? Who gets paid? How do we get paid? What about liability insurance? Have you worked through any of that stuff yet? Or is this the stuff that you're talking about doing over the next maybe six or nine months as you, as you progress? No. So, so I am a planner. Um, I am a perfectionist, you know, like I said, so the, the compliance and that side has all that was already my strong suit anyhow. I was always stronger in doing a code analysis than I was in drawing the coolest, most cutting edge design, which is probably completely opposite to almost anyone and everyone that that is an architect. But I've just not that I can't do the other. The other just takes more more brain bandwidth for me. So that's that's one half of it. Is I'm already a planner. I'm already really organized. I'm a time. Uh, time management, efficiency guru. Like I just, I love making things more efficient. And then the flip side of that too, which, you know, you could do a whole nother podcast, right? On all the stuff you should probably know and figure out before you just leap into owning a business. And thankfully for me, I've actually, well, no, I, I do know where to give the credit. My dad told me a long, long time ago, said, son, you're going to need a friend that's an attorney a friend that's a CPA and um, another, now I can't even think of what, what the third friend, I'm supposed to have a third friend too. Anyhow, all that to say, my wife is a CPA um, on the audit side. She has helped me tremendously get the bookkeeping set up. Uh, I have a great friend of mine and he is a tax accountant, worked for EY, has worked for a, a lot of these, you know, big firms. So he's done corporate accounting like crazy. And I have a great friend who is a corporate business attorney and with all their advice and counsel, you know, I was able to get an LLC set up, get all the firm registrations and personal license stuff. And, oh gosh, I mean, it, you know, the list is endless and I'm sure I have overlooked something, but thankfully I had a lot of that in place before I ever even put notice in with the other. So, well, then you're, then you're a step ahead of a lot of people. That's, that's for certain, because I think, I think most people just sort of leap and hope for the best. There's a piece to that too, though, because you can get, I, I think, you know, you'll hear the phrase like analysis paralysis. Uh, and so you can certainly get that. I mean, I think at some point, like I said, at some point you got to just jump off the cliff uh, or you'll plan it to death. But yeah, that it's definitely paid off. So you've only, so you've been an owner and your own boss for maybe two or three months now. What are, what are some things that you've enjoyed the most? And what are a couple things that you've really not looked forward to as you've been your own boss? Yeah. So the, the number one thing that I've enjoyed over the last two months is 
kind of superfluous, I guess. I mean, it really doesn't have anything to do with the business, but I had, I had about a 40 minute commute each way. Uh, literally up until this March, I've actually been in the office throughout the whole pandemic. Prior firm office was open for business. And so we were all there. I mean, I had an enclosed office over there and you know everybody was able to spread out, but they wanted everyone there and in person. So all that to say, I cut out 40 minutes commuting each way. Uh, so I, you know, I feel like I gained a day of the week uh, to, to make this move. So I really like that. But in some respects, I feel like I was already a little bit my own boss in that in the prior position, like I said, I mean, I was pretty much, I was responsible for the team. And of course I was given, you know, what projects we're going to work on or what clients I was going to be responsible for. I mean, I did not have day-to-day oversight. I did not have anyone looking over my shoulder where I was. So in a lot of respects, in terms of managing my time, handling issues on the fly, prioritizing which issue is is more important and deserves my time right now. When was email becoming a distraction and I've got to close out, look and draw, you know, all those kind of things I already had to learn and do. In a way, I've I've kind of always been my own boss. I'm very driven individual. I'm task oriented. I I'm super responsive. So all that kind of stuff I've been doing. But yes, I, I definitely enjoy so far this kind of eat eat what you kill mentality. If that's a fair analogy, I don't know. But Yeah. Um I I think everybody can relate to the <laughs> cutting out commute time because I know when I started working from home at the start of the pandemic, that was a feature that I really enjoyed with uh, working for, with the flexibility of being able to work from home. I also was able to cut out another 30 minutes of uh, there and then 30 minutes back just with traffic and everything. So I can definitely relate. I, I know plenty of other people who can as well. So we we talked about what you have enjoyed and but what are what are some of the things that are have been more uncomfortable maybe unexpected sacrifices that you've had to make when you started your own firm and 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 how have you managed those you know i would say the most difficult thing for me uh as that planner has been ditching the regular paycheck you know i mean obviously uh here i am 2 months in i have i've not i've not been paid or i've not paid myself and I do have, I've been, again, whole separate podcast, right? But I tried very much to work on a, on a pretty lean startup. But that said, I also, I put some money into this. And so I'm, I'm working feverishly to recoup that money. And, you know, again, I mean, a little bit of it, call me crazy, call it as, uh, you know, a, an advantageous goal. I don't know, or maybe it's normal, but, you know, my goal is 100% to recoup every penny I put into this within the first six months of it. And, and I'm on track to do that. Uh, but a regular paycheck, you just, I don't know, you, you don't realize how much you count on seeing that, that deposit hit your account, you know, every two weeks or once a month or whatever your pay cycle is. So that was a big one. And of course, you know, a lot of people probably know, know that you've, you've got to kind of have some of that stuff in place before you leave somewhere to start out on your own. But the amount of money that that truly takes, at least for my family, you know, my wife works pretty part time. She works about 10 hours a week. So of course the, the amount of income that I'm responsible for is, is quite a bit higher. So we're used to, uh, we're used to that and sitting down doing the math on, okay, if I need a, a year's worth of money, 
to potentially live off of, you know, that number gets big in a hurry. So saving that up is, is critical. And, um, of course just business expenses too. I mean, I'm not going to say it was an uncomfortable sacrifice, but just the realization of the taxes and the regulation and stuff. I mean, like right now I'm in the process of, of getting a license in Oklahoma. And so, you know, not only is it paying in carb, you know, to get a record transferred, it's paying the Oklahoma board of architects for a personal license. And then there's a, this fee and a, that fee. And then it's, you need a, a, certificate of good standing from the Texas secretary of state. So you can uh, register your firm and you've got to apply your firm name through the board of architects. And then you can apply with this Oklahoma secretary of state. So it's just, you know, all this stuff that mounts in terms of cost and seeing that in real life and realizing how much it eats into what you would hope is your money. It, that's a little defeating at times, but the, the rewards are good as well. Yeah, the, I think I think the biggest thing that a lot of people don't don't realize when they're going out on their own is that how much money just taxes alone will take. There's obviously what you're paying you. There's the taxes that come out of your quote unquote paycheck, but then there's the co- corporate side that has to pay equal. You know, has to pay that share in. So suddenly, what would be your normal paycheck or what your what your you you have your base pay, and then suddenly, oh wait, there's also this extra chunk on top of it that I've got to pay. And then, of course, like you said, you get into all that sort of stuff about about fees. And I, I have, have a colleague in Ohio who's actually registered in 47 states. So every year, that's 47 license renewals, basically. And so he has to go through that process every year. And I can imagine it, it takes a big chunk. So, yeah, I think, I think, and I think probably as you go through, there's, there's going to every once in a while pop up those unexpected things that, you know, you just don't think about. The thing for me, I think, was just within Texas Texas alone that I'm a registered architect, but then I also have to have a business registration within the state. So I'm like, okay, so now I've got to pay my license fee, and I've got to pay my my business fee, and they're not in the same month. So that's always weird to me too. I'm like, okay, wait, okay, May's this, June is that, or whatever. So it's it's interesting that that you're sort of having that experience, and and the other aspect of this too is is being ready to not take a paycheck and, and know that you're not going to, or potentially not going to. And I think that was a very upfront conversation my husband and I had when, when I started the last, last firm, because we didn't know what was coming and, and were we ready to potentially not have me get paid for a small period of time? Well, that small period turned into like two and a half years. So for two and a half years, I didn't have a paycheck because we were working to keep the company and the business afloat. So it's it's a big shock sometimes. I, I just don't know that people are always prepared. Um, and I've heard heard horrible stories too about people who haven't paid attention to the tax law and having it come back to to bite them later. So I, it's great that you're a planner and that you've you've thought through all these things and you've sort of prepared yourself because it, it can. There's those unexpected things that when you're starting out can really catch you off guard. Yeah, and I, I should say. To in a little bit of fairness, now going through a whole lot of this, I've seen whether I was subconsciously doing or it was just great opportunities that presented themselves to me. But fortunately for me, uh, some pieces like even this whole firm registration versus individual registration in states, you know, I was able at the other firm to be the architect of record in another state before. And so we had set up some of this business stuff. I mean, we I had a, another LLC for that, and I had, of course 
personal and business registrations there. So thankfully for me, you know, I did, I had a little bit of a leg up in that I was able to understand some of that process because without, you know, without knowing that too, I mean, it's like, you could, you could think you're ready to to take on this project in Oklahoma. You know, Oh, I just, I just got to go get in card to send this record over real quick and pay my money and I'm done only to then find out, no, now I got to go through this whole process to get the firm ready to do business there. There's there's definitely so much in that. And of course, you don't learn any of that at school. Yeah, yeah. School is not really great about teaching architects anything at all about business. And it's the, it's the number one thing I hear from students, too, is like they have no business training whatsoever. And if you're looking at starting your own practice, then then that's really going to be be something you just have to be cognizant of and figure out how to make all of that work. And and luckily for you, you know, you're married to someone who's who's an accountant and who's a CPA and you have those connections and, and most people don't. So No, yeah, that it's huge. It's huge. Yeah. So um final question, Matthew. Actually actually Matthew has a final question and I'm gonna have a final question. So I'm gonna let Matthew go first. Yeah. So Michael and I, you and I had a conversation earlier when you first started your company and I called to congratulate you where we were, we, we talked about how you, how would you would bring up employees within your company? And, and I really admired your thoughts on that. Can you describe the, the work environment you want to create for your future employees and, and how you hope to achieve that? Because I feel like more people and, and more employers specifically need to hear this type of mindset. Sure. I mean, I'll preface, preface everything that I say with, I haven't even hired a first employee yet. So a whole lot of this may just be me being naive, I guess, you know, just not having been, have the business sense to know better. But uh, going all the way back to having uh, internships, you know, during undergrad and even during grad school and working for some firms, I worked for, for one random firm in Hernando, Mississippi, long time ago. And it was a very small architecture firm. So I worked directly with the owner, the managing principal, and I worked with uh, one other architect that he had on staff. And we were, by and large, we were it. But when I worked there, you know, it could have been one of those situations where I was just, you know, I was the summer guy. I mean, I wasn't even, I didn't even have a degree, a college degree at all at that point. So, you know, very easily I could have been the, the guy that just got all the absolute worst grunt work and only drawn I don't know. I can't even think of what would be worse than drawing like bathrooms or, you know, stair sections or something. But, but that, I guess that's what's always in our mind. But when I got there, they literally kind of like threw me into the middle of stuff. And so, I mean, they, I remember distinctly, they were working on a historic uh, preservation and an addition to this old church that was across the state. They loaded me up in the car. We drove over there. Uh, We did take some, some as built, measurements in extreme heat and humidity. Uh, but I mean, they, they kind of went out of their way to teach me a lot of stuff. So from that point in my life forward, I kind of always just made the mental note, like one day when I'm working with young professional people, I want, I want to do the same thing. I want to go out of my way to kind of teach people. And so I mean, I've always enjoyed that. You guys have figured out by this point of the podcast, like I'm a talker. I talk I talk through problems. I talk through just all of it. It's it's good and bad, but I just enjoy 
sitting down and sharing a lesson with an intern or somebody that's new or, you know, why do we, why do we do this the way that we do it? And I just, I found as soon as people had some of that stuff explained to them, they excelled so quickly because they, you know, they had a full, they felt like they had the full picture that that's the background on like, why, you know, why do I have passion? Why do I care um, to teach all these interns? Because the, the flip side of that coin, right? The management uh, side of that at a firm, right? Is interns are somewhat dispensable and it's not untrue. It, get, it gets really old being the project manager and training an intern only to know that, yeah, more than likely in a year, they're going to move on and they're going to go find another job. So I, I've kind of been able to see both sides of the coin. But again, like I said, they're, they're just, I feel like so many of the interns and the people, they're right out of school. They have so much energy, so much passion. They actually generally know a whole lot of information. And I found I was working with probably one of the best interns that I had on team when I left. And uh, honestly, I I wish I could like hire him now and steal him away. But anyhow, uh, I remember telling him in one of the first weeks, I said, look, we'll call him George so that I don't use his real name. But I was like, hey, George, look, you got to remember, you have a master's degree in architecture. Like, you know how to draw a section. And for some reason, uh, I kept feeling like we would get these guys out of school. And it was like they landed in a professional environment and they were so nervous they were going to screw something up. And now that it was in a professional setting, they were going to get us all sued or something and that they they had zero knowledge. So they went from like wanting to design these grand, awesome projects that you do in school to not wanting to like touch anything for fear of screwing it up. And so one, I found like, you got to give these guys a little, you got to give them some ownership of what they're doing. And if they have ownership of the work product and they feel like they're truly contributing, the, the sky is the limit. Like they'll, they'll do anything you need. So, so that's one piece is I just, I, I really want to foster the learning part of the process. Uh, you know, we all had a first job. We all have needed somebody to kind of take us and show us. I mean, I still do. So that was one piece, Matthew, maybe that we talked about. Uh, I'm trying to remember what else we talked about. I've always been one that I felt the whole stigma of interns have to work every hour, daylight and dark and every weekend and have all this 80 hour weeks. And I've just, that's always seemed super crazy to me. Of course, there's always those weeks where you have a deadline and it's like, you know, all hands on deck, you're here until it's done kind of a thing. But by and large, if we're teaching people and we're doing the mentorship piece correctly, then we shouldn't be repeating mistakes. And if we're not repeating mistakes and we're not doing all those things, we should be putting efficient systems in place so that the work gets done and we manage our time and we hit our deadlines and we don't work. So I always viewed the whole working 80 hours a week and working people to death as, is that just poor time management on the part of whoever's in charge of the project? So that's one piece too. And then Matthew, maybe one of the other things that I talked about too, and some of this is just, like I said, it's just crazy ideas that I've always wondered, but I, I would love to get to a place one day where the firm, where I don't feel the need to employ a bunch of guys and gals that have master's degrees And then I feel the need to police them on what time they show up or what time they leave or how many days off a year they take. The thought of me tracking someone's vacation time, that seems like a waste of my time or of an HR manager's time. To me, if the the work gets done, what do I care if you 
took a two week vacation in the summer or not. Uh, so anyhow, I don't know. Was was there anything else, Matthew, that we talked about? I think the main thing that stuck out to me uh, when we were when we had last talked was you had talked about just that that ability to foster interns and foster the, the latest generation of architects into into getting that 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 ownership into a project into getting the the types of experience rather than just stuck in the day-to-day grind of drawing bathroom details all day long like like you said and and so that I feel like that was the the part that really stuck with me is, is giving interns a sense of ownership of the project because that doesn't happen enough in the industry right now and it was something that I, I I could have really used at my first job. So I I appreciate hear, hearing hearing that people starting their own businesses now are really looking forward to to doing that type of thing going forward. Well, and I think too, it, at this point, you're you're just starting out. You know, Michael, you're just starting out, so you have an opportunity to think about what does my office culture look like? What do I want my office culture to look like? Because and we talk a lot about that. What's the office culture? What, what does it really mean? What do we really believe in? Yada, yada, yada. But you have an opportunity to sort of set that, and it sounds like you're setting that. And I think there is an advantage to being a smaller practice because the people you hire have to jump in feet first. There's no, well, I'm going to s- spend three weeks learning how to do this, and I'm going to spend six weeks learning how to do that, and I'm going to put you in this studio over here, and they're going to teach you this. It's like, guess what? Here we go. And and my first job out of school was essentially that. I had a half day where the office manager like went over policy, here's vacation, here's this, here's that. We had lunch and came back from lunch. I sat on my desk. My boss walked over with a stack full of drawings that were red lines and said, I need you to make these corrections go. And you just had to jump in with both feet and you learned and you learned fast and it, it was very intense, but that was the culture in the office. They didn't want you, you didn't have time to foof around and, and spend three months drawing bathroom details because that wasn't the kind of firm it was. So I think you're, you're at a, a really good place where you can sort of think about, have some time to think about what your culture is. And so when you start hiring people, you can start putting those things into place and start paying attention to interns and think about mentorship. So, yeah, I, I think, I think you really are in a unique spot and it's nice to that, that you're thinking those things through. So my question, my last question, honestly, for you would be if you were talking with someone else who was getting ready to jump into the, into the firm ownership pool, what would be your biggest piece of advice to them? I think you need someone and i don't know that it has to be somebody in architecture but i think someone in in the direct profession would be a huge plus but i think you've got to have somebody that you can bounce your ideas off of and it's got to be somebody that you know some of your ideas are going to be insane i mean like i have some crazy ideas i mean i i, I won't even share you know what some of my like goal goals in terms of growth for the firm or, or revenue or, you know, all that stuff, because they can sound absolutely crazy. So having somebody that can, can give you a reality check, but somebody that can also hear your goals and your dreams. And instead of, you know, poking holes in it in every which way, come up with ways to try to help you get there. I've got a great friend. His name's Josh. Josh is not an architect at all. Josh and I, I mean, literally last fall, we spent every Friday night on my back patio around my fire pit, figuring this stuff out, 
from from the craziest of things. I mean, Josh put me on to these business made simple courses. I signed up and I took them. And I don't know. I mean, yeah, ha- having that person because because that's also where I kind of finally got the push of like, you know, what are what are you waiting for? Why delay this any longer? You sound like you're ready. You sound like you want to own a firm today. Why like go? And so having somebody to ask me those questions and to say, look, you know, if you if you look up in five years and you're still thinking about doing this and you haven't done it, com- com- contrast that with if you look up in five years and you've been do and you started this today, you will be five years. You know, you will have been in business for five years. That's you know, that's a huge difference in in outcome. Yeah. So having having that kind of person uh, is huge. Okay. Well, I, I you know, honestly, I, I hadn't thought about that aspect. Um, my husband is in HR and HR consulting, so he's always been that sort of good sounding board for, for things because he gets the the business aspect of it. But yeah, I think I think for for starting out, that's not something that it would really occur to me for for someone else to have that that other person sort of just to bounce things around with and and talk it off and 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 figure out what what really is going to happen and what's what's really going to uh, going to be happening going forward. So, well, well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. This has been interesting. You know, we we, we talk about finding a job, but we do very little do we talk about creating your own job. So it's been nice to talk to someone who decided to to do that. If people wanted to get in touch with you, is there a way for them to reach you? Absolutely. Yeah, you can you can email me. It's just my first name, Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, at bldg-arch.com. Reach out to me. I'm, I'm like I said, responsive. And I, I mean, I love talking about this kind of stuff. Matthew knows this. Again, I just my personality, I think, but I've been, I guess, a networking connoisseur my entire professional career. And I kind of just keep in touch with pretty much everybody I run across. And that has paid out in spades. So anyhow, so yeah, I mean, people, you know, feel free to connect with me because I love spitballing this stuff. And, you know, who knows, some, (laughs) some other intern out there that's unhappy that wants to start their own firm may have a great idea that I've never thought of. Great. Well, and of course, everyone knows if you want to reach me, you can reach me at Spotted Dog Arch on most of the social media, Spotted Dog Architecture on Facebook, or just email me, Larry, at SpottedDogArchitecture.com. And for those of you wanting to talk with Matthew, you can find us on Instagram at ArchGeeksPodcast, and you can find our website at ArchitectureGeeks.com. Sweet. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us again, and we will be back in I guess a couple of weeks with the latest podcast I think might be time to jump off into the international series again and we'll see where we go from there so hope you're all doing well and uh, we'll talk with you later bye bye